Hello world. My name is Patrick Price. I'm a new father, a producer, a designer, an artist, and so much more. And I'm finally stepping out of my comfort zone and into the spotlight with the Tuesday special podcast. I sit down with my closest friends, business partners, fellow wrestling fans, and complete strangers for one-on-one conversations about anything and everything. I feel that every episode is a journey of life and laughter that will either entertain or teach you. Let's all join together in this journey. Welcome to the Tuesday Special Podcast. Everything you said, we already knew, more or less. of the Tuesday Special Podcast. As you heard in the intro, my name is Patrick, and I have a very fun guest. I won't spend much time talking about him because we have a very lengthy, about 55-minute conversation. But my guest on the podcast today is one Kevin Pierce. Uh, For those of you who aren't in the Southeast wrestling scene, Kevin is one of the premier referees uh, in the scene. Uh, Very sought after. He's probably one of the best referees I've ever seen work. Uh personally like with me or a company that I work with but not only is Kevin a referee he's an awesome person an awesome human being uh, helps out tremendously behind the scenes he's head of production uh, under me at PWX uh, that's another part of his job at the PWX wrestling company but uh, this conversation is fun because I've had a professional relationship with Kevin for probably going on three or four years I can't my time tables in my head is horrible but uh Going on something like that, but I've had a professional, but I've never really sat down. Me and him have talked. Me and him have had have had, have had short conversations. Never gotten into deep detail about our past and uh, how we got to where we are, uh, and uh, little things in life that made us who we are. And that's kind of what we dive into. Uh, if you haven't heard this podcast before, I encourage you to go check out all of our past podcasts. You can find them on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or at TuesdaySpecial dot com. Uh, we'll have some amazing guests. We started off last week with Zane Riley for season two. It's a fun, fun, fun episode. Very good feedback. Uh, had a lot of good listens, had a lot of downloads. So I appreciate that. Uh, hopefully you'll check this one out. This one is a fun episode too. Uh, next week we're going to have the WrestleCon episode. So you're just going to listen to me rant for a little bit about what New York City was like for the first time I've ever been there. Uh, and my experience with WrestleCon, one of the biggest, one of, if not the biggest wrestling convention outside of WWE's FanFest. So uh, that's going to be what you can look forward to next week, but not to overshadow this week because this week is Kevin Pierce, referee extraordinaire. And it's a fun conversation. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the one and only Kevin Pierce. All right, I'm sitting here on the Hebron couch that looks like a casting couch. Kind of smells like it, too. Yes. In uh, in Hebron Hall with the one and only. If I could remember your real name, I would say it right now, but I can't remember it. <laughs> yes. But So we'll go with Kevin Pierce. Thank you for having me. It's a late night. We've got to find some energy. 
I've, yeah, I've got a little bit left. We can do some more CBD drops. I'm just kidding. I'm down. <laughs> like we just we just did. Some. I gotta drive home. You do too, don't you? Are you driving? Oh, screw you. And I gotta work in the morning. Oh yeah. But it's not gonna be any fun. But uh, like we we talked. If you listened to last week's episode with Zane, uh, we talked about uh, CBD, and he and he talked about. I don't want to piggyback off that episode, mm-hmm. but. You were sitting in house while we were recording that episode, and he was talking about mushroom stories. Right. And I guess this whole second season of the Tuesday Special Podcast is going to be about drug stories, <laughs> because I have absolutely none. <laughs> so, do do you have a good one, real quick? Uh, let me see. Yeah. Um. So, it, there's when it comes to the druggery. Uh, there's, I'm the type of person that. The way that I live life is to base it on the experiences. Oh, that's me. It's like uh, what you know. It, it, no matter what happens, whenever you leave this life, at the end of the day, I was able to say I did this list of things while I was here. I feel like you've heard uh, me say that, and you stole it. I may have. Uh, <laughs> so my thing was, it's not necessarily about getting hooked on it for me. It's about trying it and seeing, having yeah. a similar experience to share with someone else eventually at some point. Um, so somebody on the subway in New York City. No, surprisingly, <laughs> I was at uh, it was just some random uh, high school party. And, yeah, in high school. Yeah. Oh, that's brave. Uh, well, now, now this one, now it wasn't. Um, no, I didn't do mushrooms in high school. I did mushrooms about. Oh, okay. I was about four to say, years ago, dude, your mind is not like Mm-mm. mentally strong enough to do mushrooms in high school. No, I don't absolutely think. not. No, and I, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, not until at least you uh, have paid taxes once or twice. Yeah, but. For me, first time I did mushrooms, I was hanging out with a buddy, and I literally had like two days off, mm-hmm. um, had nothing to do, and he was just like, hey, I've got this. What are you doing for the next 16 hours? I guess I'm hanging out here. So, uh, Don't you miss those days? I do. I don't get too many of them. I haven't had one of those days in probably the last 12 years <laughs> of where I could just be like, you know what? I think I'm just going to hang out and watch and play video games and watch Netflix for last, for the next two days. Just yep. don't do shit. I'm going to complete a like, TV series. When, like, if you have you ever been spray tanned? Yes, yes, I like have. When you get spray tanned mm-hmm. and you have to can't do anything for six for hours, like six or eight hours, and you, you just sit, like, sit, sit back and play Call of Duty. <laughs> I could, I haven't been able to do that in so long. I remember those days. God. All right, sorry. Back spray. to the mushroom story. You're good. You're good. And uh, so I remember like we tried it. A couple different ways. Like, I didn't want to just straight up eat them because they were just the actual mushrooms themselves. There were no uh, anything added to it. So I didn't really want to taste it. I just I'm, – I'm more about uh, the feeling. Gotcha. And so I remember we uh, – he had made some tea, and he put it in the tea. And so we did a thing where you do about half okay. just to play safe. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, if you're feeling okay after that, then you yeah. do a little bit more. The half-half rule. Exactly. So we did the tea, and – him and I are, have very little patience for waiting on anything. So, oh, that's I'm, not that's not a that's good, not a good combination right, when no. doing drugs. Uh, surprisingly, I have some pretty good will though. Uh, but we ended up drinking the tea. Thirty minutes goes by, nothing happens. So finally, we're just like, you know what? Fuck it. He pulls out the blender. He throws the rest of them in the blender with oh, you guys. Uh, a ton of gelato, ice cream. Um, milk and ice, and they blended it all up together, and we both had two mugs, those big giant beer mugs, uh, slap full of this thing, and we just chugged it. Um, Jesus Christ! And guys. so we're hanging out, you know, smoking a little bit. And, I'm about to put a disclaimer on this episode, right? And uh, I don't want to scare you, but uh, I know. Just piggybacking uh, off your episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we started watching TV, and it started raining. 
Mm-hmm. And so, but it was kind of raining where it would it would rain for a little bit and then shut off and come back. Rain, rain and mushrooms. And so, right? No. So I literally I I heard it rain or mm-hmm. started to rain, and we kind of looked at each other, and he was like. We should go stand outside for a little bit. And so we literally, we hit pause on the movie. We went and stood outside, and it had gotten to the point, this was probably about hour two or three, and you can see every single individual raindrop as it was falling. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen, and the trees were kind of doing this. It's like a Sting promo from... Right! It was like Starcade 97's coming up, and we got (laughs) to... And then the rain would shut off, and we're like, okay, and we go right back in, start watching the movie again, rain cut back on. We're going outside! So how long, and this lasted for two days? This lasted, um, from what I remember, that particular portion lasted about two hours. Um, And then about an hour and a half later, for some reason... uh, I got this feeling like I wanted to be elevated, like I needed to be up in the air. So the the house that we had was a dual-level house, and so I went up the stairs, and I went around the corner, and I just laid down in the hallway, and I'm doing some deep thinking. I'm talking about arms crossed. I'm just sitting there staring at the ceiling, coming up with all of life's problems answers, and to the point to where I, I didn't realize this, but I had laid there for four straight hours, and dude that was with me spent the majority of that four hours circling the lower level looking for me the whole time nice. I was fucking crashed up here on the <laughs> on that top level and finally I see hide your seat mushroom bender right right yeah <laughs> and Love uh it. yeah <laughs> right and like but the funny thing was I could li- I, my room was literally five feet away I could have been doing all of that in my bed but I'm just sleeping in the oh. hallway basically for no reason <laughs> that was a fun sixteen hours. But it was one of those things for me, like, when it comes to drugs, like, I don't do a drug, and then I'm like, fuck, we got to do that again right now. Like, I'm literally, I was like, okay, that was fun. It's kind of like, for me, like, planning a vacation. Yeah. So it's like, all right, uh, in June, we'll we'll go back there again. In June. We'll be fine. Or however else, you know. That's what I'm, we're blessed with non-addictive personalities. Right. Well, and the only thing that. I consider myself addicted to is is this, is wrestling. Because, you know, like. For me, yeah. To me, it seems, and this is just my personal opinion. For me, I see a lot of people that come in and they they are professional wrestlers and they do a phenomenal job. But for whatever reason, if this was not to work out for them, they could walk right back out that door, go back into that world, Mm -hmm. and succeed. I don't feel like I'm one of those people. To me, honestly, I feel like out there, I can't breathe. I like I don't I don't understand, understand how that world works as well as I understand this world. I'm more yeah. comfortable here. Like if if I had all I had to do was wake up every day and I just did wrestling, mm-hmm. that's utopia for me. Yeah. Because it's not thinking. I don't have to think. I'm not I'm not not enjoying myself. Mm-hmm. I'm always having a good time. There's always something to troubleshoot. There's always something to fix. There's always something you can make better. And but for whatever reason, as soon as I cross that threshold, shit just falls apart and I can't do it. It's, and it's and it's never, it's never gotten to the point where, like, you're just tired of it. Of the outside, like world? wrestling. No, um, I do get frustrated at times. Uh, I've I had somebody tell me one time that they've never met anybody that loved wrestling as much as I did and hated wrestling as much yeah. as I did in the same breath. Uh, you know, there are bits and pieces of it that are uncomfortable and. Um, I can see why somebody wouldn't want to show up for, you know, certain things from time to time. But for me, like, this is my chance to have fun. Yeah. This is, like, legit my only chance to have fun outside of uh, being with my girlfriend. Like, I li- this, this you don't is have to it. say that because she's sitting right here. I mean, I mean <laughs> right. 
<laughs> well, see, like then this podcast, this episode isn't about me, but I'm at this weird place in life mm-hmm. now, where I've done wrestling for so long mm-hmm. that I'm on the fence. And me, like me and Jake Manning, had a good talk about this when we were in New York. Mm-hmm. About he said, and uh, sorry, he's not here, but I'll try to place the words that he because he was critiquing me. So he said, your biggest thing was you put too much on your plate and whenever it got to the point where you couldn't, you didn't want to continue, you just cut it all out. You just stopped it all. You just shut it down. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's like, that's my biggest critique of you. And he, and I love when people give me that constructive criticism. So I know like what to, I I know I can take it in and, and feed off of it. And if I, if I believe it's true, what aspects can I fix this and that? So I appreciate him being honest with me about that. Mm -hmm. It's a very good talk. And what's crazy is good talks, and Zane will back me up on this, good talks with Jake are great. Like, it's rare. Mm-hmm. doesn't happen much. Am I right, Zane? Good talks with Jake, with Jake Manning are amazing. Yeah. Like, if you get if you have a good talk, but it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Right. But, uh, but that's where I am right now is I love wrestling, and it's outside of my, like, shoot job. Mm-hmm. It's what I'm the most successful at. It's what I've done, had the most success, had the most like had the most experiences with. Right. But I'm at a place now where, if I continue to do this, is it going to keep me from being able to succeed at something else? Is it going to is it going to keep me from being able to have experiences in another realm, mm-hmm. and then just and have I done everything that I'm able to do in wrestling? Right. You don't. You want to almost like you don't want to shortchange yourself in the experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, a, so it's a, like a weird, mm-hmm. it's a weird spot. And you mentioned you do production mm-hmm. stuff. So we won't, we won't make this whole podcast about wrestling since that's <laughs> our like world that we've met in. We've become acquaintances and friends in. Yes. But like when did you get, you started in Georgia? I was originally, yes, in Atlanta. Uh, I was trained by Mr. Hughes mm-hmm. uh, at the, the WWA, WWA four. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was one of those things where I didn't necessarily pay for any kind of training. I just had a bunch of sound equipment and I showed up one day and I said, Hey, I, you know, I don't have any money, but, uh, I would love to be a part of this. I have all this equipment that is free to your disposal as long as I can be a part of the show. I just so why, part of the so show. why did you have the sound equipment? Uh, it was one of those things where when I was a kid, um, and I watched wrestling, I feel like there's a couple of different ways that people look at it. Like most people will look at it and they're entertained by it and they have a good time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when they they turn the TV off, they're good to go. They can move on to something else. Gotcha. Uh, For me, it was kind of like a kid that watched a magic trick for the first time. And it wasn't so much he was amazed by the magic trick. He wanted to learn how to do it. Gotcha. And not only did he want to learn how to do it, but he wanted to learn how to do it better than anybody else that had ever done it. Because he was so moved by what he had seen that he wanted to get that same reaction that he had given that magician to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like down to the minute point, like I can watch an old episode of anything on the network and, um, I could pretty much tell you the brand name and, uh, you know, size and, uh, figures of everything that goes in there. Um, yeah. so like I'm a, I love the thing about WWE that, that really sticks out to me the most is how clean their television looks. Yeah. Everything looks clean. Um, Everything has its everything's in its place. Everything mm-hmm. uh, and they have fail safes all over the place. So if something does happen, they've got a backup right there, ready to go. Um, and like the mechanics of it, like I yeah. wanted, I, I wanted to learn Just how to how prepared they are for exactly. Anything. So the did you did you do something with sound equipment before? You stepped into wrestling, or did you just collect it? Did you? <laughs> I did. Um, 
I, I was not a scholar by any means when I was in school. So I would find any well, reason – to the club. <laughs> um, I would find any reason to get out of class and have something else to do. Like what I would, was your – what was your GPA when you graduated high school? Uh, negative. Oh, it can't be a uh, negative. No. <laughs> Come on. Did you graduate uh, high school? I did. Um, I graduated high school with a 2.2 GPA. I, I don't remember what the numbers were, but in, in Georgia, at least where I went to school, um, a D was passing. And a D was what? 70. You had the 10-point scale, didn't you? Probably. You asked. Uh, I mean, no child left behind, right? Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> – you know, so I literally look like, at where we're at now. Right, right. God forbid. <laughs> we um, we had uh, you had to have at least a seventy or above to consider passing. And I had Are you one. Serious? I swear to you. And I had one last class left to pass. And it was, I want to say it was we like had to have seventy-five. No. Oh, our our curve was, like was deep. Seventy-five or seventy-seven. <laughs> I went to school we in Augusta. All right, scale. our curve was deep. Uh, Seven-point scale. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, I had one class left to pass, and it was world history. And I remember I walked in uh, to the class after he got done grading everything, and I was like, what did I make? Please tell me I passed because this is all I needed left to graduate. And he's like, you made a 69. I was like, damn. He's like, 0.5. And I was like, because oh, I knew they rounded up. Oh, yeah. Sounds just like Your boy me. got his diploma. But um, then when I got this, when you get, did you go to college? I did not. Oh, okay. Um, so when I got to college and I started paying for my shit, that changed the game. <laughs> <laughs> or if it was something that like I was interested in, like I went to business school first. Mm-hmm. I think I graduated business school like a three point eight, mm-hmm. but then art school, which is art school, so you can't. I get when I say I graduated with like a four point GPA in art school, like that's what I put on my on all my resumes. But it's like in art art school, you could just be like people are like I don't really get it. You're like it's art, right? And they're like okay, I get it. Don't it's, you see hey. how it flows? And... But yeah, so so right out of high school. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you got in? How old were you when you got into wrestling? I originally visited the WWE for uh, when I was 18, around 2008, and then had a bunch of personal stuff um, go on. And long story short, this wasn't was, your time. It wasn't basically, time. yeah. I was. Um, That's what happens. Yeah, pretty much. You never know. You never know it until you look back on it. Exactly. Like and okay, this sucked at the time, but. It, it was kind of like it had its ups and downs. Um, it like the reason that I went and my reason for going were two different things. Gotcha. Um, you know, so I did that for about two and a half years, and then finally, after a while, I kind of got back on my feet, and I was like, you know, I've never really given this wrestling thing like a, a legitimate try. Let me give it a legitimate try, and that was 2013, January 4th, 2013, was when I walked into WA4 and asked Mr. Hughes if I could be a part of the show, and I did. Um, I was their sound guy for about three months, and then the person who was supposed to do commentary that next week didn't show up. So he just looks over at me. He's like, uh, you ever done commentary before? And I hadn't. I've seen it, but. Right. I was like, I, said I, yes. I, I, that's exactly everybody that's ever been put in that situation does the exact yeah. same thing. I was, oh, all the time. I mean, it's just literally it's like just Keith this morning. Today. I was like, Keith, can you do commentary? He's like, yeah. I was like, are you good? Like, be real with me. Are you good? He's like, yeah. And then I heard him. I was like, hmm. <laughs> Uh, love you, Keith. <laughs> I love working with Keith. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I did that. Uh, started at WWE 4 in 2013. Stayed there for a full year. And the way it worked there was we had training Monday through Thursday. But Thursday night, they would do a free show. Every night? Every night. Monday through Thursday. Um, really? hmm And then on Thursday, they would Impressive. have a free show mm-hmm. just so the guys could work in front of a crowd. Yeah. So we'd have, like, maybe 12, 15, 16 yeah. people show up. And... So I started doing commentary, and then he heard my commentary, and he 
kind of was like, well, he, he was trying to implement storylines into the training. Yeah. So he was like, well, we need to have like a boss of some sort. Uh, uh, Pierce, do you want to do it? Hell yeah, let's do it. So I was the general I've manager. I've done it before. Right, right. All, all the time. I, just, <laughs> I literally just clocked out being a general manager yeah. to come over here. Yeah. And uh, so I did that for a little bit. And that was cool because uh, like – I think a lot of people, when they get into wrestling, like they have those few moments in their head that they watch as a kid that they want yeah. to sort of kind of recreate and yeah. put their own little twist on it. Um, so I got the chance to do that and then did a few shows around the Georgia area. And then it wasn't until 2015 when I ran into Ethan Case at a Georgia show. God and it. Right? And Ethan Case. he had seen me do everything from commentary to general manager to. Yeah. to uh, and I hadn't refed at the time. Um, had never That's thought about being a referee. Had no aspirations to be a referee. It was just kind of one of those things where there was a booking. Somebody needed somebody. This is and... why I love real origin stories. Right, right. Um, and like, so this is your Marvel story, right? Here. It, it, I mean, I really can't believe it even happened That's how you the way it did. Super ref. No, it's exactly what happened because I, I like the first match that I ever did was at Flatline in Augusta, Georgia, and it was Anthony Henry versus Ethan Case. And I'm talking about everything as a referee that you could do wrong, I did wrong. Oh, I'm yeah. talking about white socks, white shoes, uh, the shirt that I had didn't fit, like my hair wasn't cut right. I just, and I was heavier at the time, so I was yeah. around uh, 250. We're get to that. Right, right. Okay. Um, and so I remember I got done with the match and I came back through and I'm just. <sighs> I've that's never me had after to move I that fast. A show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> after, after a Cabarrus show, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, but I remember I walked back through the curtain, and Ethan walks up to him, and he's like, "Hey, uh, I, I know you're, uh, you know, you're doing this general manager thing, and you have seen you do commentary, but I think you've got something with this refing thing. Like, you should mm -hmm. keep up with that." And him and I kind of chatted back and forth for a little while, and then a uh, situation came about to where him, uh, myself, and one other person ended up sharing this house together, and we just traveled everywhere. Like Ethan, literally, any booking he had. He called the booker and was like, look, I've got my own referee. If that's okay, I'd like to bring him with me. You don't necessarily have to pay him. He's just looking for the experience. So yeah. me and, I mean, me and Ethan used to travel to the PWX shows um, once a month, and it was a five-hour trip up and back. Um, so, you know, we'd be when getting was home. That? Uh, this was 2015. My very, actually, my very first show for PWX was 2014. Um, and then I ended up embarrassing myself, or at least thought I embarrassed myself to the point to where I didn't show up for another year, and I came back in yeah. May of 2015. What, what, how'd you embarrass yourself? So the match, the referees at the time were Is this one Tyshawn owned it? No, Brian had just taken over. Okay. Um, and it was a two-nighter. The first night was in Thomasville. The second night was in Charlotte. And the main event was Caleb Conley versus Cedric Alexander. Okay. And so I had asked, uh, you know, Mitch and the higher ups at the time, uh, you know, did you need any help with anything? I can, mm -hmm. you know, just escort bodies out or whatever. And they told me they were good. That's fine. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. happy to be here. Uh, so the spot to go into the finish was, um, you know, Caleb and uh, Cedric are going crazy. Ref goes down. Yeah. They bring another referee in. Somehow some other stuff happens. That ref goes down. Third ref comes in. Bunch of stuff happens. He goes down. So what was supposed to happen was Brian, as he did, jumped in the ring and said, well, we don't have any more referees. Right before all of that was supposed to happen. Was this uh, when Brian got super kicked? No. Uh -huh. I don't think so. It may have been. It's my, no, it's my, was this when I was there? Was I there? No. I believe this was this during the Chris out. Shore era. Yeah, okay. Um, that explains all the ref bumps. <laughs> And uh, so I remember right before all that got ready to happen, Mitch 
came to me and he was like, hey, one of the guys that's supposed to take a bump can't do it. Can you do it? I was like, hell yeah. I ran to the back real quick, threw all my shit on, and I'm ready to go. As soon as I come back to the pile, Mitch goes, oh, never mind. He came back. It's fine. He figured it out. I was like, oh, that's a nice little kick in the nuts there. All right. Yeah. And uh, he's like, you can just collect, collect bodies at the end of it. I'm like, okay, cool. I got a little piece of something. That's fine. So I thought the spot was over. So I walk out there. Spot hadn't even started. Oh. So first ref goes down, and I see it, and I'm like, all right, we're going to slowly back up. And this is back when the, fran- when the fans were allowed to be a little closer to the yeah. ring. So, yeah. I mean, it was just congested everywhere. I couldn't mm-hmm. go anywhere. And second ref goes down. Third ref goes down. Brian jumps in the ring, grabs the mic. Well, we don't have another referee. I felt 15 fingers pointing over my head to this referee who's just standing by the apron because he can't move to go anywhere. Oh. And uh, got in the ring, and uh, I believe Cedric attempted to decapitate me. Um, and I remember I, I got home that night, and I, I called Jonathan Feltner, who's a good friend of mine, one of our ring announcers, mm-hmm. and I was just like, I'm done, never doing this again. First go out, <laughs> I fuck it up, it's, just, it, it's over, game over. It, nobody would probably even realize. And, and, and the, the best part was... I was talking to Feltner, and he says, I said, I'm supposed to be there tomorrow. i got to yeah. be there tomorrow in Charlotte. Like, I'm like a fucking idiot. And he's like, walk in there like nothing happened. Nobody cares. I, sure enough, I walked up to Cedric. Cedric, I apologize. I am so sorry. That will never happen again. He's like, I don't give a fuck. It's all good. Yeah. I thought I just forgot one. Right, right. And uh, <laughs> so, like, that was the first time I kind of had that up and down. And then I, I was just so embarrassed over the whole thing that I didn't come back for another year. And then that, in that, me being gone for it's a year. It's amazing how the mind will make you, like, just. Mm-hmm. I literally, I, I like, I was standing outside everything. the hotel just on the phone. I'm just like, this is it. I'm a fucking idiot. I'm going to go bag groceries or do something, like, minuscule. Like, but then, I you, but then you take, like, not to mm-hmm. downplay what we do. Mm-hmm. But you look at the big scheme of things right. of life <laughs> and see how small right. this is. It's insane that that has that much of an effect on you. On anything, not on just you. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Because I've, I've had – I mean, when I when I used to wrestle, I, I, wasn't, I was never great. That's why I didn't wrestle a lot. Like, mm-hmm. That's why I never – when I wrestled, I, I remember when me and Marcellus King – used to be a tag team mm-hmm. he'd always get on to me about like we need to travel when you do it and i'm like that's not i don't want to be on the road 365 days a year i don't want to travel all the time i don't have to fly all the time this is just something fun that i do right and it's fun doing it with you because you're one of my really good friends and we do the comedy stuff and we do i mm-hmm. created the circus gimmick yep with you whenever we created evo and this and that and blah 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 and uh but yeah like it's but i've had i i i I've had times mm-hmm. where I, I stepped into an environment and I didn't live up to the par, and it was just mm-hmm. and it's like it's crazy. I don't know if it's like where I'm at, where I am now in life or my mindset on things, but it's crazy how easily something so small and so minuscule and so just who gives a shit right can cause the biggest flare not up to just ever. jump on you about that well you know it, but it's it, but it, you know what i mean i'm trying to try, like anybody that listens to this that's like trying to get to some some point in their career like anything that you think was magnified right. unless you like work in a museum and you knocked over like a 50 million dollar statue right. you're probably not going to come back from that <laughs> but like but something small that sits on your head like mm-hmm. just stop and analyze the situation and understand that right like it's probably not as 
not as big in the a big piece of the puzzle as you think it is. And that's one of the things I've had to realize uh, over the last few years because the way that I grew up, like literally, I, I felt like there was a ton of pressure put on me to be fantastic. No matter what I did, I had to be fantastic. Do you have any brothers or sisters? I had two sisters and a brother. Yes, older um, or younger. So my brother was older. And I had two younger sisters, one of which was a stepsister. Uh-huh. Uh, but the deal with that was my brother is special needs. Okay. And then my sister, when she was born, uh, she like was breathing oxygen for like 20 minutes and then had a stroke immediately yeah. after having been born. Um, so they had, you know, their hurdles to climb. Yeah. And so when my. Did she live? Yeah, absolutely. They're both, they're both healthy and yeah, everybody's good to go to this day. Now, um, not to step away from no, your no, story. Do you think. I've always wondered this because I used to help out with Special Olympics all the time. Mm-hmm. If you you live with a sibling that is like special needs, yes. Do you think it makes you more understanding to that to people with with needs? Because one thing that I've always told myself, because I've worked in an in emergency room for sixteen, fifteen years of my life, mm-hmm. and uh, that's I mean that's my career outside of wrestling, right? And uh, like one thing that I've learned through that is don't treat them any different. Right. Like that you're, you're doing a a dissatisfaction if you treat them different because you're creating that stigma. Yeah. And then, and that's the last thing they want. So Mm -hmm. what, what makes them overjoyed more than probably anything is somebody just treating them like a human being and just treating them like they're just there. Like not, not just there is not the right word, but like they're just, they're another, like they're they're just as valuable as anybody. Exactly. Exactly. There's, there's, I, Nothing. I, I think you can do anything that I can do. Right. Right. Like there, you you'll have you have a few more hurdles, mm-hmm. but I, I, we're here to support you and do what we can do to make those dreams come true, just like when we look at our dreams to come true. No doubt. Uh, I mean, when you it, your perspective kind of changes when you live um, with somebody who has these, uh, you know, disabilities or special needs or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Um, for me. I think because I lived around it for so long, mm-hmm. it didn't strike me as different. It's yeah. kind of like like my life was very sheltered. So anything that took place at home, I assumed happened in every other household, gotcha. anywhere else. Like that's how it is everywhere. That's how it is everywhere. So gotcha. it, it didn't strike me as odd. And it was funny because like it never struck him as odd. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one of my favorite stories about him, uh, to, to add to that point, um, and I hope nobody's offended by the word retarded, but that's kind of the punchline in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so he comes home from the school bus, and he runs in the house, and he got his book bag over his shoulder, and he slams it down. And I remember I was kind of the caretaker because being I was the middle child, but yeah. with them having their, and so, their but things. and this brother was older. Yes, he was. Okay. He, okay. So basically, all of us were born a year apart. Okay. Um. God, your right. parents, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they just had the wild, like a wild. Five years. And literally, it was... It was a wild five years, and they're like, we're going to pay for these five years for the rest like, of our lives. It was so wild that she ended up becoming a lesbian. That's how really? wild it was. Like, no doubt. She was with my father to the time I was eight, and then she decided that that wasn't her thing. Like, she literally did everything she could to try and find a way to fix herself from being a lesbian. Really? Like, she went to church. She went to meetings. She uh, got baptized God knows how many times. Like, literally everything she could from medicine. Uh, she lost her, uh, speaking of ER, she used to work as an ER nurse, uh. and she lost her license because of the issues she had trying to get past this. So she tried really? to use drugs. She tried to use alcohol. She tried to use tried everything. Tried to just change her mindset? Like try, she tried to get past the 
like feeling in she temptation of liking women. Well, not so much that. Like the way that she grew up was in a very, very, very strict Catholic household, uh. and so there was something wrong with her. So she spent the next twenty to thirty years trying to find a cure for this thing that was supposedly wrong for her. So if if you're listening to this podcast, and hopefully. If anybody is listening to this podcast mm-hmm. and is an asshole and is really strict on their kids, there's a way to be strict on your kids but not to shelter them and make them think that only one way of life is exactly is the only way. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this and you're doing that, you need to pause the podcast. Don't turn it off. Just pause it. Reevaluate your life your life choices and goals and then restart the podcast And because we're going to make a very good point about all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, on you. it's on you, Pierce. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's on you to make this point. Oh, yeah, and I'll definitely make it. Okay. Uh, but it was, you know, I remember he came home and he, he slammed his book bag down and um, I was like, what's wrong with you? And uh, he goes, I'm pissed off. I'm like, well, what's wrong? What's going on? He goes, my classmates. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with your classmates? Without missing a yeah. beat. They're retarded. It never even clicked with him that that was something that he might be a part of, yeah. you know, and like that. It just it yeah. from the television and stuff that we watched at the time, like that was the first thing that spouted out. That's... And like to me, that was what made being around him really cool. Is like it, you, those moments where that change yeah. in perspective. Yeah. Like um, there was one time. Uh, one of the things my dad used to like to do on the weekends was we had a bar around the corner from the house that from. Two, it was a barn grill. From two mm-hmm. to five o'clock, uh, you can come in and buy lunch. And as long as you bought lunch, you could shoot pool for free for that entire three hours. Oh, uh, so it, and nice. that was perfect for us. He could drink, we could shoot pool. Everybody's yeah. happy. Yeah, you know. And uh, so my dad would come in, and oh, me and him shared a bedroom for many, many years, and as did my sisters. Yeah, and. He was like, all right, we're leaving for the bar in 15 minutes, and if you were not in the car in 14 minutes and 30 seconds, you got left. And you could walk there, but it's a nice little walk. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to hurry him up. I'm trying to hurry myself up, getting dressed and everything, and I kind of nudge him, and he goes, don't do that. And I was like, well, quit being a little girl. And he's like, don't call me little. <laughs> I was like, I love that. I love that's that awesome. perspective. Like, yeah. that's, like, that's their world. Like, for him... A happy like this is one of the things he loved to do. He would love to sit in front of the TV and watch infomercials, and he would literally write down everything if it was something he wanted, and he would start creating this master birthday list. So for I love it. he was born in I September, so for nine months he would have everything written out perfectly. And if he misses up one little letter. It comes ripped out. He crumbles it up. He starts it all over again. That's awesome. I cannot tell you how many lists I've seen him start, and just like, like I come in twenty minutes later, right. he's just like uh, just surrounded by paper balls. Like <laughs> I, th- I thought he got assaulted by him or something. Um, but yeah, like his perspective, like it really changed my thinking as far as um, empathy. Mm-hmm. And there are some people. I mean, at the end of the day, nobody really has a reason to be a dick. Yeah, there's no legitimate reason True. to be a dick. Um, but the the littlest things makes him happy. Yeah. As long as he's got pen, paper, um, mashed potatoes, and SpaghettiOs in the cabinet, mm-hmm. he's good to go. And he's actually as good off as you can be for somebody in his situation. So yeah. basically he'll be a 10 to 12-year-old in a 30-year-old's body for the rest of his life. I would – and this is no knock towards him or anybody mm-hmm. that has that condition – I would love to right? be in the mindset of when I was ten or twelve years, like ten to twelve mm-hmm. years old, my entire life. And I, I, I understand, oh, I understand days. the hurdles that you have to jump. Mm-hmm. I understand the complications and all that stuff. But if you think like that's when when I started dating Katie, mm-hmm. she had so I was six 
I think. Now he's nine. He'll be ten this year. Mm-hmm. And like that's the first thing I noticed is what I think what makes him happy right. is not what makes him happy. <laughs> like you have to learn. Like you right. have to yeah, like he'll tell you like not he won't come out and be like, Listen, this is what's gonna make me happy. But then you understand like <laughs> you kinda have to figure it out along the Yeah, way. if it's it's in this hard now because we have the the little one, mm-hmm. but if you go lay in bed and just lay there and talk to him until he falls asleep. Mm-hmm. That means the freaking world to him. Really? Yeah. And it's wow. just and it's just like that's crazy because I thought that you I knew you wanted me to buy this this pack of Pokemon cards that cost a hundred dollars. Right. For twenty five cards and all this like mm-hmm. that's another thing I learned is toys are insanely expensive. Whew. Were toys that expensive when we were kids? Mine were because I like I wanted like I was one of the things that kind of got me into the, the building and, and learning how to you know do set design and stuff was I would buy as many of the play sets as I can get, and I would start building my own sets. And uh, to the point to where I went out and bought a mini projector and built a little screen for my Raw's War stage. And I and I like. I Did loved- you ever have like the shoe boxes? I, yep. Like you cut you <laughs> cut out the shoe boxes and make the entrance way. Yep, I'm, Dude, I'm talking about me and my friends got would get. When we did backyard wrestling, mm-hmm. don't try this at home, kids. Please don't. Um, we would get sidewalk chalk and draw the logo mm-hmm. or the, of the show on our trampoline, <laughs> and then like one match in, it was done. Right. Or then it started raining and just washed it all away. Look, luckily, my dad was smart enough not to get us a trampoline because that would have definitely equated to a couple trips to the ER. But we we kind of had the 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 country way of doing it, and we we had a, a fairly good sized backyard, so we'd wait till fall time and mm-hmm. we'd rake up all the leaves. And we oh, wouldn't. It wasn't so much nice. a leaf pile, but what we do is we'd put it all in a big pile and throw a tarp over that. Gotcha. So that's what we were you know landing on whenever oh, we did dude, stuff. We've- Oh, it was, it was we did tires. We put tires yep. mm-hmm. all around and put plywood on top of tires, and then put <laughs> we had mattresses. Then we had the trampoline. Then trampoline broke. So then we used the ground, but mm-hmm. the circle was the ring of the trampoline. Right. I remember uh, my mom when I was about twelve or thirteen. We were living in this house, and it had one of those backyards. It wasn't so much wide as it was deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the very back of the backyard, there was said. this giant heyo. Uh, <laughs> At the very back of the backyard, there was this uh, wooden shed. And I remember I was just kind of out there just piddling around, not really having anything to do. And I was like, I'm going to break in this shed and see what's going on in here. And so I opened the shed. And uh, you remember those uh, wire banister things that used to be in front of front doors on, like, the patio? Yes. Uh, it's kind of like a pillar, but it's just, like, the thinner yeah. uh, metal. There was, like, eight or nine of those things in there. Oh, there was heaven. Right. There was um, five or six cinder blocks. There was a bunch of plywood. And there was a bunch of old carpet. It was the first time I had ever built a ring. I was about to say uh, that sounds like building ring material. Exactly. So, it, so, and it, I mean, it flexed like a normal oh, ring yeah. does because I did manage to duct tape it right. And oh, so, you. I remember I called my brother out there. and I was like, "We need to put, we need to put a match together. We got to do something." And, and with him, he could never lose, ever, oh, yeah. never lose. Uh, always the champ. Always defended the belt. <laughs> never lost. Uh, I was, you know, the proverbial Mick Foley oh, every yeah. match yeah. going through the, you know, gotta put him over, right. Uh, and so I remember we put this little five minute match together and we told our moms, like, you gotta come out and watch this. You gotta, and so this, and just grass everywhere, this redunculous looking ring and this one chair sitting in the backyard. Yes. So she comes out there with her glass of tea and she's like, all right, y'all got 10 minutes. 
And so we start the That's match. That's your first time keys. Right. And uh, <laughs> and so we're, and the finish was supposed to be a pile driver. So what? He, take, he takes me, and this is before we knew anything. Uh, so he takes me up for the pile driver, and he jumps as best as he can. And mind you, he was probably 75 pounds at the time. I was yeah. maybe 130. So, of course, I'm doing all yeah. the work to make this happen. And he lands. The plywood snaps. We go straight through the ring to where he's literally sitting with his legs up. My legs are pointing straight up. My mom just kind of stands oh, up. Oh, I don't have a video camera. Right. I was so mad we Dude. didn't have that. But I remember my mom looked over and she goes, uh, y'all all right? Was that the end of the match? She, and we're like, yeah, that was it. She goes, all right, make sure you clean all this shit up. <laughs> Good spot. Walk back in the house. That was it. <laughs> and we had, we had to sit there and try and figure out how the hell to get out of this hole. And then, what, <laughs> like f- five years later, Bam Bam Bigelow and Taz would steal y'all's spot. Exactly. See, that's what happened. He was passing by our house and he saw it on the way through. Now, okay, so we you referenced something earlier. Mm-hmm. And... There is I, I'm 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 gonna say this hopefully not hurting your feelings because there's a there's a fat Patrick and there's a skinny Patrick in my life. Now now it's like getting closer to fat Patrick than it was. <laughs> so there so there was there was a big Pierce and a little Pierce. There's a little Pierce now. Yes. There's an aerodynamic Pierce now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like and, and when I met you, you were this size. Mm-hmm. And so when I see pictures of you, the bigger <laughs> size, I'm like, what in the hell? Right. So what First off, what instigated the getting in shape and weight loss? And uh, second, okay. how do you maintain it? Oh, wow. All right. So what caused it was me being on the road with Ethan. Okay. Um, because, you know, that was my first taste of learning on the road, you know, learning mm-hmm. what to eat, where to eat it, how to find cheaper food if you need to, yeah. um, you know, different routes to get to where you got to get to. And it was one of those things where up until that point in my life, every time that – basically what I would do is I would get up, I'd go to work, I would come home, I'd go to sleep, and I'd do it over and over and over. So my body yeah. wasn't used to doing anything athletic. I had never done anything athletic at that point outside yeah. of playing basketball in high school. And um, it literally – like, and I've never told him this, and I hope he hears this uh, this podcast, but – uh, I'm begrudgingly grateful to Anthony Henry because when I was in the ring with him and Ethan, I remember I kept looking over to Anthony. I'm like, why the fuck don't I look like that? I can yeah. look like that. Like, And it was pissing me off that he was moving faster than I was. Yeah. And so, And Ethan was doing the same. And, and, and I hate feeling like I'm the one at the back of the line. Oh, I at least need to be down. in the middle of the line. Yeah. Exactly. I don't want to be the one to cause anybody any kind of grief. Like, gotcha. that's, I'll be the first one to take myself out of a situation to avoid that. Because – Exactly. Yeah. I'm not looking to harm anybody. I'm just, you know, I'm here to do my thing. Um, I just want to hang. Right. And, and the sad part was, like, I'm actually, when it comes to eating, like, I eat pretty clean. Like, I enjoy salads. Yeah. Um, you know, my biggest kicker, soda. Love soda. Yeah. Um, that's me. But I can, I think another thing that attributes to the keeping it off is mm-hmm. working um, the shows with PWX because I'm literally so zoomed in on what I'm doing that I have been known to be in a building for 15 hours, no food, no water, no yeah. nothing. And I don't even notice it. I'll yeah. walk out of the building and all of a sudden everything will just hit me. I'm like, Oh my like, God, I'm going to die. Like, yeah. but when I'm in the building, I'm in my zone. So none of that even that's equates. Dude, the rides home are the worst. Oh. Cause that's when your tire starts hitting you, mm-hmm. the hunger starts hitting you. And then next thing you know, you, you guys probably have way more than I have like an hour away from, I'm about an hour away from here. About an hour 45 for us. So, so it's just like, Oh my God. 
Right. Well, when doing? like I was saying, when me and Ethan first started traveling to PWX, it was five hours. So when I traded that for oh, the hour forty-five, I, I will take that. I do not miss those days. Oh, I mean, it, it's funny because Ethan's uh, the kind of guy that he likes to drive, and yeah. I don't mind not driving. Not gonna lie, um, I don't mind driving. But it's not like riding for a long period of time in a car. Right. It would also depend I'm on I'm also like, six foot three. Like I said, that helps. I mean, I'm only 5'11, so I'm pretty compact. I can fit in yeah, the most. Like, I can only imagine like guys like you and, and uh, fucking Rayhan, like these, yeah. these giant motherfuckers yeah. that are just traveling for long distances. I mean, I can only imagine having to be stuck on a bus like that. Oh, like, dude, the planes are the worst. Really? Yes. This. On the on the flight, I can't really complain because I didn't have anybody sitting. I had a window seat both times mm-hmm. on back up to New York and back, but but I had nobody beside me both times, mm-hmm. which is like golden. Oh, so but there was this room, dude yeah. right in front of me on the way up to <laughs> down or up to New York, and as soon as we got to leveled off, he fucking set his seat back, oh. and I was just like, like <laughs> needed chin. Jeez. So I so I sat with my feet kind of over in the other seat. Mm-hmm. Oh. But yeah, planes are the worst. Car backseats of cars are the worst. I've, I just don't like being stuck in a small space for a long for time. For a long period of time, I'm right there with you. It's like that claustrophobic feeling of like I need to be able to get up and stretch for at least five to six minutes and I can't do that because yeah. we've got a town like, we gotta yeah. get to. I need to get up and walk around. Right. I think I've only been moving. on like four airplanes my entire life. Where's the where's the furthest you've ever flown? Arkansas. This, okay, this is how backwards. What the fuck are you doing in Arkansas? I, I, I shit you not. This is how backwards my dad was at the time. So we had a funeral we had to go to in Arkansas. Mind you, we lived in Augusta, Georgia at the time, so uh-huh. we could have just driven. Yeah, how it, like what six hours something like that? Something like that. Yeah. He wanted to do two connecting flights on the way up Jesus and two Christ. on the way back. So we flew out of Daniel Field in Augusta, Georgia, uh, in this little twenty-seater prop job plane. We flew from Augusta to Charlotte and then from Charlotte to Arkansas and did the same trip on the way back. Well, on the way back from Arkansas to Charlotte, our plane engine shut off uh, because it was one of the ones that had the propellers on both sides. And so the seat that I had was about the middle of the plane, right where the wing was, and I could hear the the gimmick going. And you know, I'm I'm scared. I I could hear the, the propeller running. Like you know, you know it stops like when you start coasting to go land. Yeah. yeah no. Okay. So, but th- this was different because for whatever reason, it it was raining at the time too. So we had like inclement weather. I, just so you know, I yeah. have anxiety right now. Oh, I believe you're it. You're telling I, this story. I had anxiety when I was like. This is why you only flown. Is this the last flight you ever flew? Yeah, this is when I was sixteen. Yeah, I'm that's, why, that's why. That's why. So I'm. If I ever have a near death right. experience on flight, <laughs> I will drive to to Vegas well, before I fly to Vegas. It's funny because like it wasn't as bad like at the pit like the start of the story sounds way worse than the actual. Uh, middle oh, of you the, got me hooked. So you just. Oh, I got you. Yeah. So um, I'm sitting in the middle of the plane. My stepsister sitting next to me. My dad and my stepmom were behind me. We're right by the wing, and the propeller is just going. And all of a sudden, I hear. And it did. I, that's what I thought it was doing because I, I thought it was yeah, coasting. Yeah. And so all of a sudden the plane just kind of starts leaning to the left. Oh and my I'm like, God. This is it. This is it. I wasn't Damn. gonna make it to 16 or 17. This is it. All right. Yeah. We made it this far. Good enough. And all these thoughts are going through my head. And my sister kind of looks over at me like, Aren't it's plane just? No. And the minute she said no, I heard and it cut right back on the the plane levels. But that connecting flight when we were. Stuck in Charlotte for a little bit. I, I just, had I been I able to drink, I, I would imagine, have. Like 
as soon as it's like you start tilting, you stand up, look at your dad, like, who fucking idea was this? The same, the same drove six hours. The same guy who thought it was a good idea to give his son a motorcycle before a car. What? Yeah. Uh, so I shit you not. I was trying, I'm trying to keep this like 45 minutes, but you keep throwing this shit at me (laughs) that I can't stop it. Okay. Okay. This will be the last one. So when he was, uh, around my age at that time, uh, he had a motorcycle, but this was in the eighties. Uh, so they were a little cheaper back then. Yeah. And at that point, not safer. Right. And I didn't get my first car until I was 19. Um, so I watched my sisters get cars and they got, you know, all kind of work done to them. Yeah. Uh, you know, anytime there was an issue with it, he took him in. They got him a loaner car. Everything was good. Mm-hmm. When it came to me, it's like, I think he'd look good on a motorcycle. Jesus Let's put Lord. him on a motorcycle. So he buys this $800, $900 motorcycle. And I'm thinking to myself, what if it rains? What if it's Looks snowing? Looks like the motorcycle that Captain America rides. Right. It's just a little <laughs> rinky-dink bullshit. Got like, got like a leather tank. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> it was like this, this ocean blue, you know. Uh, and I remember I, it was in the backyard, and he was like, try and ride it. Now, at no point was he like, this is the gear, this is the brake, this is the you throttle, like, none we, of that. You need to make a movie about your I, I kid you not, he was literally, go try and do it. Uh, and I hopped on the motorcycle. In the and, grass? No, I was on concrete. Oh, okay. We had a little bit of concrete in our backyard. Okay. Um, and I remember I just... Only, oh, it's called the motorcycle track. <laughs> right, right. I, I literally just... Felt like I just barely put it on there, and boom, oh, yeah. thing just Dude, those things just so shoots fast. off, and it threw me into the bushes. And I remember I left it in the bushes after I got up, and I was like, "I don't care what you want to do with that thing." Oh, so I never walk. owned it. Like you never drove it around. He bought it, thinking that I was going to ride it. I have way too much ADHD to try and figure out gears and stuff. Yeah. That's why to this day I can't do uh, five speed. Like oh, literally, yeah. I need it has to be automatic. Uh, but that was his Amy way of, uh, that. right. That was his way of describing things or trying to get you to figure stuff out was like, we're going to put forth as little effort as possible in teaching In teaching. So literally I would walk up and it's like, dad, uh, how do you spell hors d'oeuvres? And he's like, uh, look it up. Start I'm like, with an O. I'm like, first off, I don't know how to fucking spell it. So how am I going to look it up? <laughs> and finally I find the dictionary and I'm looking, I'm the ord, O-R, ord. Unbeknownst yeah. to me, it's spelled whores divorce. So I'm on the, Start with what? H? Yeah. It's H-O-R-D-E-V-O-U-R-S. Oh, show, show, I was showing my expertise. I'm telling you, fourth grade spelling bee chant three years in a row. Had no fucking clue how to spell it. <laughs> They didn't tell me how to spell hors d'oeuvres. Right, no, I'm, hey, I'm, I've worked in the restaurant business for sure a very long w. time. No, I'm telling you, it's H O R. W H O R E. D'oeuvres. I think that's the one from Vegas. That's yeah. hors d'oeuvres. That's, that's the ones they serve in Vegas. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's what happens when you're doing a podcast at 12 30 in the morning. Woo! Gotta love it. All right, so where do you see yourself in five years? Hopefully contracted somewhere where all I have to do is wake up in the morning and figure out something for wrestling. Is your is your end goal like just working in wrestling full time? That's the comfortable end goal, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, the ultimate goal, obviously, would to be work for WWE because yeah. that's you know the top company. Um, I had the fortunate honor this year to work for the second top company. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, that experience was unbelievable for me because, like, we had the two nighter. We had the first night in Charlotte, yeah. second night in Nashville. And for some reason, because I worked in Charlotte so many times, it didn't really hit me in Charlotte. Yeah. It hit me in Nashville. Yeah. When you travel, when you travel somewhere and you're right. getting paid and, yeah. and and just the, the crew that that New Japan uh, brought in was phenomenal to work with. 
Um, and they brought back a piece of the fun in wrestling for me yeah. because to see their crew as happy as they were just yeah. with the new Japan theme playing. Yeah. I mean, I, and when I remember specifically, there's a picture uh, that Eric Foster has mm-hmm. of me and him and he's sitting uh, at the production in Nashville and my eyes are just glassed over because about 30 seconds before that, um, I just, you know, the new Japan thing was playing and uh, I just looked around the one Memorial auditorium and like a packed out, it was beautiful, a, a, a beautiful, like beautiful venue, bi- right? Really, and yeah. the place is packed out. And I had a soundbite from my dad when I was growing up go through my head because I told him that I was gonna, I wanted to be in wrestling. When he asked mm-hmm. me when I when I wanted to graduate, what I wanted to do, and I told him I wanted to do this wrestling thing. And the first thing out of his mouth was, "You're not smart enough. You're not fast enough. Um, so don't worry about wasting your time. You're not good enough." Yeah. Uh, and I remember in, in an instant, I had that sound bite go through my head and I just took a gander at the room and I was like, this is the biggest fuck you I could give him Yeah. right here. Because for the kid who was told he wasn't good enough, he mm. wasn't fast enough, he wasn't smart enough, not only am I here, but I'm not just doing the refing thing. Like I get, yeah. I, I love having my hands in multiple things because it makes me feel like I'm, I'm contributing in a, in a, yeah. in a decent way like if i just come in and i ref i don't feel like i've done yeah. justice like, to help yeah. okay i'm a decent ref but that can do so much more right like i want to do so much more and that's the frustrating part is when you're trying to make a career out of this you you, know, you can't jump from commentator to referee to wrestler yeah. to because i think wrestling re- the wrestler part of it is the only thing i haven't done yeah um, you don't want to it's not necessarily i don't want to i think i would i'm telling um, you don't want to oh i'm i'm your body, Depending on your who body you're feels a lot better now than it would. Oh, I, if, if I had done seven yeah. matches of wrestling, <laughs> that probably would have killed me. Um, but yeah, but I mean, that's it's good that you take that you stop and get like take in that experience. Right. Because for the longest time, I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. I was just like on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. Yeah. The first time I ever did that was when Cedric wrestled AJ Styles. I remember that at Ziggy's, mm-hmm. and whenever. Like you have eight, eight or nine hundred people in that place, mm-hmm. and then you have somebody that you've helped build their career up, right? And then you have somebody that you that's one of your favorite wrestlers in the world mm-hmm. performing in front of you, and this whole crowd is just chanting "You deserve it" or whatever they were chanting mm-hmm. that night. And then, like I've had a few other other moments, like when, like we talked about when Jake won the belt. Uh, that is one and of we my built, and favorite that, matches that big, to this that day. big pop whenever he whenever he finally pinned Skyler and won the belt. At, I mean, uh, but the but, shitty Mexican bar, right? When you think about it, that match had everything that a good match needs. It had a it had a fairly good story. Mm-hmm. You had two phenomenal wrestlers in the ring. Uh, the commentary was on point that night. Yeah. Um, and just the little intricate things that they did. Um, the thing with Brian toward mm-hmm. the end of the match, like, and it was all placed so perfectly to where, even as we got closer and closer to the end of that match. The fans still didn't know how it was going yeah. to end. Well, I mean, it's it goes to show you like that's a special moment mm-hmm. that like we might be able to hang our hats on bigger than anything else we've ever done, mm-hmm. just because of how special it all played out. Right. That and that goes to show you you have like you said you have two of the best wrestlers in our area, possibly in in the world, yeah, or the states, the Definitely world, whatever. Arguable. You have one of my favorite play-by-play people in Brad Stutz calling mm-hmm. it. Absolutely phenomenal. You have commentary. a crowd that is so invested in what what we were building and, mm-hmm. and Jake's story 
and it'll be and a lot of like that's why I want to I want to go back and listen or I want to go listen to Jake's uh, Jake's podcast on right. Zane things Zane's, because yeah. that a lot of that was coming out of Jake going downhill right and coming back up trying to come back and trying to come back up because I remember like this goes way like behind the curtain mm-hmm. I remember when Jake came back because Jake Jake and Brian had a big falling out and I I'm the kind I kind of played the peacekeeper in the meteor medium to get him back. And I remember when he came back, it, it was at, uh, too close for comfort. The first two close for comfort when he Ooh, returned. Yeah. And it was, it was when me and Brian started our heel kind of management thing, mm-hmm. when we were going to beat up Zane. And when I remember the, uh, either it was like the night or two nights before that I said, Jake, when you come back, what would you want to do? He said, I'd like to build a story for me for the title. Mm-hmm. So like that, Two reasons I was emotional was because I was stepping away after that match, after that Scouts Honor show yeah. where Jake won the belt because I just had so much shit going on. And two is like that's like a man making a promise to somebody. Right. And following through for mm-hmm. over a year, mm-hmm. building to that. And whenever he won that title, the way it was done, the reaction, like George being there, Brad. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing is just – it's like when you have all the right pieces yeah. in the right place. Yeah, it's just, it's just like perfect, perfect storm, perfect mm-hmm. situation, and that's the, the legitimately that might be what I can, as a booker mm-hmm. or uh, somebody that writes the stories or producer, that might be the one point that I can hang my hat on. Nice, a, a funny story about that match actually. Um, about maybe three quarters of the way through the match, Skyler wanted to do the spot where he takes the belt off of me, mm-hmm. and so. When he pitched that to me, I was in my head. The first thing that comes to mind is the No Holds Barred match with uh, Sean and Diesel. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I was like, "Fucking blast me!" Yeah. And then take it off, so that way you've got more room to move. Mm-hmm. He's like, "No, I'll just back you into the corner." So he backs me into the corner, starts taking my belt off of me. Can't get it, so he just rips it. And when he rips it, he literally ripped the, the zipper seam off of the pants to where it was still zipped up, but it yeah. then did come up, come across from the pants. They were falling off, weren't they? They they were. Very close to. Uh, <laughs> so I'm literally, I'm t- like trying to figure out where the fuck and everything. Yeah. So, and I remember he wrapped it around his hand and he nails Jake a couple times. And I was, all, the only thing that went through my head was don't throw it out of the ring. Don't throw the belt out of the ring. And he just kind of drops it on the canvas. So I'm like, for a good two or three minutes, you see me kneeling in the corner while Jake's in a submission. What do you say? And I'm just throwing this belt through the yeah. loops trying to get this thing to work. And then I finally get the belt together and I go to zip my pants up and I realize I can't. So I just have to untuck my shirt and I do the rest yeah. of the match with the shirt untucked. Um, I do remember but- <laughs> you like grabbing and trying to hold them up. It, like I was literally, I put the belt through the first loop and then they go in for a pan. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> of course. Right. As soon as I go to do that. Um, they're unintentional assholes. Right. Like and- they're assholes in general. But they're unintentional assholes too, right? They like he didn't mean to do it like that, but you know, yeah, it's, just, it, it, uh, it's one of those don't, things that added to the story, they did. right? They meant to do it. Oh, I'm sure. They're like Pierce uh, trying to put his belt on pin, right? Get him, get him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it was one of those things where, like, because all the right pieces were in the right place, like that adrenaline was flowing on a different level that night because I had a couple of thumbtacks in my hand and did not realize it yeah. until I came back through because I was just so hype that everything was going. Yeah. And I went back and watched it on tape, and it's funny because. Like, I actually take the time to clean the mat in the section I'm going to count, but I forgot about my posting hand. So I oh. posted immediately and just three or four right there. Nice. And to um, 
Brett Wolverton's credit, like they managed to get a camera shot of it, and I plucked one out and I just kind of threw it, and you hear Brett go, "I think Pierce has got one or two in his hand." And yeah. I was like, "Yes, I'm okay with it Over. happening as long as we get, like, as long as it's captured on film. Like, then you don't, don't have to say yeah. my name, just, just say the ref, yeah. right? It just, like, it just, it was, oh, it was phenomenal. That's that was awesome. A lot of fun. It was a joy to have you in the company. Pleasure to be here. Thank joy you to me. be able to bring you. I'm not saying it's it's mine and Brian's. Uh, like re- we're the reason that you got the opportunities that you get. You get the opportunities you get because you're very good at what you do. But it's 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 awesome to be able to bring you along on the journey. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Does that sound I, like I, an egotistical? Asshole? No, I certainly okay. appreciate. No, that's the thing. Like opportunities are created by people every day. And, yeah. Know, well, I mean, you don't necessarily well, always create your own well, opportunities. Like Foster's big on mm-hmm. like thank you for the opportunity. I'm like, listen, the reason you get the opportunities because you're good. Mm. Is because whenever I need something from someone, right. you're the first person I think of. Mm-hmm. Whenever somebody says we need a, we, we can we use a ref, one of your refs, mm-hmm. the first person we think of is Pierce. Well, I appreciate that because you're because you're one of the best that we have and the best I think the Carolinas have. Oh, thank you. So thank you I for joining you me. Low standards, I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just haven't seen good refs. Yet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, but I appreciate you. You got any following on? social media yeah you, gotta, you got facebook twitter instagram you know just yeah, look up you know the, i guarantee you i'm the only kevin pierce that's gonna be so? on there is i'm pretty P- i'm like i'm like 80 p-i-e-r-c p-i-e-r-c okay. uh as long as you see a striped shirt that's me okay and if you can't find it, you can look, look up his personal one schumacher i'll know. go with sam it we'll go, we'll go with sam schumacher that's my that'll be my next <laughs> next ref gig name I mean, I, just so you know i'm gonna beat that whole let that whole thing out like i said your real name oh you're good it was nice <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pierce. Thanks, man. Thank you, Bubba. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Special Podcast. Find all of our old episodes at TuesdaySpecials.com. That's TuesdaySpecial.com. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. All right. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>